Welcome back. We are here for our episode of Movie Marathon. We are part two of our Killer Threes, which is we are talking about the third movie in a horror run. Because that's usually when they make the wildest, weirdest decisions. And for some of them, they work and they stick forever. And some of them, it, it relegates them back to uh, to history. But uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Murph. And I think this is appropriate as a follow up <laughs> from Halloween three, because <laughs> uh, I think there are some lessons that uh, Halloween three maybe could have taught taught uh, taught people that uh, this one struggled to learn in that <laughs> the yeah. uh, writer director was fighting really hard to not have an exorcism in an exorcist movie in the studio really uh, shoehorned one in. <laughs> into the movie in a very nonsensical way of and uh yeah i was just like oh man I, like someone needed to have a <laughs> have a talk with them about uh about a little movie called halloween three <laughs> uh halloween three and then also um they, they should horn an entire character in this actually <laughs> it's a result to justify the uh the um exorcism at the end but yeah it's this is a weird one. Uh, it's 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 Exorcist Part Three, and oh, what is the oh God? I forgot the tagline. Um, <laughs> sometimes this seems to have a tagline. Sometimes it doesn't. Oh, the, it's like there's I think it's Exorcist Legion. Le- yeah, maybe that's that it. was the, the name. The book of the was the book. name of the Legion, right? Yeah, and but I guess the book is a prequel. Ah, it was written many years before when they were trying to get a movie off the ground way earlier. Um, and so a lot, I think, gets changed even from the book. Although, I mean, the director and writer is is the writer of the book as well. So it's um, that's true. I um, yeah. Should we talk about uh Blatley for a second? So this this is written by uh William Peter Blatley. Uh, and he was the writer of the original Exorcist. And from looking at his IMDb, and which should be critical when I say this, at least from a film standpoint, he may have been successful in writing other stuff. Uh, but it looks like a lot of his career had been focused once he got once he did the Exorcist in at least the the script in 74, 73, 74, that that really kind of launched his career. Um I will tell you, I just looked at his uh, Wikipedia page. There's a theme here. He went to Georgetown, so that makes a lot of <laughs> that, sense. I mean, I think I could have told you that without doing any research. Yeah, I, it's so specifically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so he, so he writes the first one. He writes the second one, and he writes the third one. I think he wrote the book Legion, to your point, in the early 80s. This goes to be uh, option as a movie, and it kicks around for a while. And they try to get a lot of different directors. Um, John Carpenter, actually, I read, was attached to it for a little bit. And then it sounds like he met with Blatley. And there was just, they couldn't get to a consensus on the creative, some of the creative ideas in the movie. Yeah, uh, what so I read was away. Carpenter, they brought, like, I think the studio maybe brought Carpenter in as a possible director. And so one of the things Carpenter was trying to talk to him is like, well, we don't have an exorcist, an exorcism in here. <laughs> yeah. It was really excited. Like, we got to think about more like devil exorcist bits for the devil to do that are like scary, but fun. Like, um, And Bloody was really resistant. And then Carpenter basically said, 
from like talking to him and working with him, like he has a very specific vision. I can tell he really wants to direct this. <laughs> Basically, like I don't really want to stand in his way of doing that. Like I'm not like this doesn't seem like that fun to do now that I'm going to be battling the person with the actual vision on it. If it was just us working together. Yeah, no, that's what I read. Carpenter, so I can sure, tell he, yeah. really, he really wanted to be the one who directed it. And Friedkin was attached to it for a while, too. Really early on. Okay. Um, I think in like almost like 82, 83 ish, I believe. And, and then, but then they exited. It, it seems like it was basically pretty consistent. Creative well, differences. Wants to not do that's just um, yeah. And that, that seemed to be a lot of times a sticking point. And then. I think during the production, he battled the studio a lot. And I think sometimes the studio was maybe right, but then did interfere for what an exorcist movie would be, but maybe interfered with what the actual vision was and kind of diluted what it would have been that he was trying to do. Because I know Brad Dorff, I said the script was much, much better and the studio interference kind of made it mediocre. I, I, I could believe that, and that's on the other cool. hand, they're paying to make Exorcist three, <laughs> and like they want to get an Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. I um, you can see it pretty badly where where the studio meddling is, but to your point, there's it's not insane for them to 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 <laughs> put something <laughs> like that in. I mean, it, it is an Exorcist movie. If this was like a standalone, not unlike Halloween three, where if it just been a standalone. There probably wouldn't be as much grief about some of this. But yeah, uh, Blatley wanted to completely forego the the exorcism component of this, which is... Yeah, and which I, I will agree with him. Based on what the plot is, you don't have to have it because it's still like the Gemini killer coming back and kind of possessing... Thing. Like I don't know exactly what changed from the script into this one, but like... There, there. It's not quite like Halloween three, where it's like a completely separate thing and characters. Like this has characters from the original returning and thing. Like so, it's continuing that story. And even if you, so, I, I think you could have gotten away with it without having exorcism in the title. In it, as long as you made it good, yeah. That's uh fair. Uh, yeah, fair, fair point. Well, I don't think either party was wrong. They just probably needed to sit down and commit one way or the other. Yeah, and it, it, it seems and they kind of try to thread the middle. It sounds like they shot two endings: the ending that's in the movie with the exorcism, and then one without it. And then I yes. think they screened. I think Blatley got a, a an option to screen his version, and uh, he sort of what I read. He seems to imply that he had a terrible test audience where it was maybe stacked against him a little bit. Um, and uh, the studio, because of that, won out that the, the feedback was better that he um, he has to go with the Exorcist ending, which is, I don't know. I I, I like the ending fine. I didn't think it was that bad. I think he was being a little harsh on it, but I would have liked to have seen what his vision, since he wrote the whole thing all the way through. Yeah. Was, there uh, is, was a, there is a director's cut out there that uh, the ending has a different ending and then has some other things but to my understanding some of the things maybe weren't shot or the film is lost so it's taking like videotape from the day of production and Ooh. putting it in um 
to kind of give you an idea of maybe what it was going for. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's a pure director's cut. I think it maybe gives you an idea of where he wants to go. But I think there's a Shout Factory Blu-ray release that has a two disc mm. um, that has the theatrical and the kind of, and then they went back and made a director's cut, but it's not, I, I don't think it fully captures what his, what his vision was. I on that. But if I, I do want to track it down and watch at some point, it'd be interesting just to see. But I, I do think the exorcism scene in this is atrociously out of nowhere, shoehorned in, takes you out of the movie <laughs> because it's like, who is this character? What's happening? Like, where did they come from? That. Yeah. And then when you're reading about it, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I probably just about put that together myself that this was forced in by the studio to have an exorcism. Yeah. I, uh, I, it, it also, how fast to me in the first one, which I really want to go back and rewatch that because I felt like I was actually disserviced by not because it references so much. Um, the first movie. Yeah. I almost watched it again last night, but I know we're going to, we're doing it probably like a month from now. Yeah. So I was torn between, should I watch it and just take notes now? Or, and then cause I was, and maybe I can convince you we should just do that next for this or, uh, <laughs> well, but yeah, I kind of want, I've, I haven't seen the original since college. So a lot of my catching up on where we were at was kind of online plot synopsis of. <laughs> well, and that's, it's kind of the same as there's stuff, I watched it about two years ago for the first time. I actually never seen it. Um, and it's, it's still pretty scary. <laughs> I'll say that from, from the, uh, the one time I've seen it, I, it was, it was even as an adult, it's, it's still pretty jarring. And, uh, um, what stood out to me was, uh, in this, the, the relationship between Karis, because this, this, this whole thing is based on the Gemini killer, but it's about, uh, um, the Gemini killer coming back to life. And I, I don't know how much, do you remember how much time had gone by between 15 years? years. (laughs) So, which they conservatively say 15 years, two dozen times. It feels like everything's 15 years. Everything. (laughs) Um, Everything happened on like October 10th, 1975 in this movie. Like nothing happened before and nothing happened after. In these people's lives mm. but uh but yeah uh karis coming back which which was fine but they they really blow up this relationship between karis and then george c scott's character uh kinderman detective kinderman which i i i want to go back and watch because i have no well, recollection of that I, character i think what throws you off a bit is um the actor who played kinderman and in the original passed away lee cobb yeah yeah and so then they cast george c scott but so him you don't just his like fate, like presence doesn't trigger a memory because it's a different actor. I, I think that's part of it. Um, it may be. It, it, it may be why it feels disconnected. It's uh, it was definitely a lot of me going back and saying, "Well, wait a second, who was that? Was that guy in the first one? I don't remember him." And they bring back um, the the first priest. If I'm not mistaken. I'm sorry. I'm looking at people's names, but. Um, <laughs> maybe not oh yeah uh 
Father Joseph Dyer was in the first one, who is his. You mean friend, Ed Flanders? Ed Flanders, who's played by another actor. See, they swap out two two actors that are the two actors that are supposed to be tethered back to the first movie. <laughs> so <laughs> there are no visual cues of who these people are. And so I, I, I can see this not doing well because I feel like in 1990, that's expecting a lot for an audience to go back in the theaters. Yes, yeah, particularly 1990. Well, I mean, I guess there's like Blockbuster. You could go rent The Exorcist probably pretty easily. You could. And that, and it, was, but it was still, a big movie, but that's, that's a um, stretch. Yeah, for the average audience, connecting these people back to those roles was probably not the simplest. No. But uh, yeah, this is uh, Blatley's, Blatley's whole vision for this was to, to make it more of like a s- spiritual sci-fi movie or, or or thriller if you will then then make it something about the exorcist studio went out but you know it is what it is uh <laughs> I, I think he wasn't very happy understandably so but apparently um uh exorcist 2 which he wrote was directed by john borman which came out about uh, a little over a decade before this that was kind of a flop apparently yeah that's cons- i mean that's considered i've i've actually never seen that one but i know it's considered pretty bad <laughs> I've never seen it either, but um, well, it, it doesn't have freaking which R.I.P. By the way, we should talk about that freaking yeah, freaking just passed away. He'll he'll be forever remembered for this this movie, and uh, of course, cruising and <laughs> and uh, I mean, live and die in, in L.A. Um, Sorcerer is my uh, Sorcerer is pretty good. My go-to for him. Huh? That's a wild. But I, I've actually been wanting to watch that again. That's such a wild. Um, movie and Scheider is so good in that. Yeah, yeah, it's, and, and it's, it's such a good movie. It's crazy, and it's so depressing. Yeah, but yes. I still just enjoy it because there's really no, there's no positive outcome for anybody. In this it's just, it's just the downside of you make mistakes in life, and <laughs> you can never escape those mistakes. It's just a very, very direct, hard message. Yeah, it's not a uh, not exactly uplifting. Uh, no, but, but I still really enjoyed it. Your your point. Yeah, no, really the filmmaking is incredible, and like the tension, and then scenes is yeah, it's. I uh, it's I always felt that pretty good filmmaker. The French guy eats it because they're just talking, 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 and then they explode. <laughs> yeah, just like oh man, brutal. So, uh, but yeah, so all right, going back to this 1990, uh, it's got George C. Scott, who you and I both were. Uh, horribly surprised to find he was only 63 years old. <laughs> Yo. He feels 63 playing 83 in this. <laughs> he, uh, he, he feels he, so old. He he looks and I don't I don't know what you mean when I say he just doesn't look good. He looks he looks he's very it's out a, of shape. He's been living hard. <laughs> yeah, and I think about like we watched Delta Force and I'm going somewhere with this. And that's got Lee Marvin <laughs> not long before Lee Marvin dies. I think he dies like two years after that. And Lee Marvin at least looked like he was in okay shape. I mean, he looks a little frail, but he he he's still he's still kind of the frame of Lee Marvin as you would expect. In this, it's just like holy shit! Looks like George C. Scott ate a barrel, and then they they started filming. <laughs> so I don't know. I. uh I am probably being pretty mean when I say that. I'm sorry, Mr. Scott. Uh, but he it, plays. It, but it is it is distracting at times because you're like, shouldn't this guy be retired? Like, I think. Yeah, that it's that. Like, what's the yeah? It looks like he should have been retired well before um, 
Uh, he doesn't like, like he should be an active, <laughs> active duty police officer. Yeah. And so it's interesting just because this, uh, it, the whole movie is really focused around, around that character, which is fine. I mean, I, George C. Scott, I think is bringing something that you're not getting from anybody else who's in this. Like that's, if they put any money behind talent, it's all sitting in, well, George C. Scott and probably Brad Dorf. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I think George C. is good in it, although at times is just playing the George C. Scott note of <laughs> intensity of um, when maybe needed to veer a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're, I think uh, you're but once, right. especially early on, but once things get going, then he's on kind of like the right note because it is intense and people are dying and. <laughs> But like early on, when he's they're supposed to establish his friendship with the priest and things, it's like <laughs> this guy just seems insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, him and Dyer he's going talking to... about a fish in his bathtub with the intensity of like, like the it's like the patent speech. It's like he's giving the same yeah. intensity of like I've got to talk to you about this carp in my bathtub and why I can't go home. <laughs> <I'm> like. <laughs> So I was watching that part with my wife, and she's just, we're both like, "What the fuck? Where is this going?" Yeah, it's I, he's great. He's acting. He's doing a terrific job. But it's just like, what is the monologue he's trying to deliver here? Like, I don't get it. Like, it just felt like he was at a ten of seriousness the whole time, and it needed a moment of him like having some levity and like this yeah. is re- acknowledging what I'm saying is ridiculous, not like like. Is that the intensity of like telling someone their child died or something? Like he's just <laughs> like I, this uh, is a funny story <laughs> you're telling, and like <laughs> I, I I will say I like uh, all of the the serious acting that uh, we get from from uh, George C. Scott later on. Uh, it's always whenever he has to go look at the body of victims. And they never show you what the body is. So you, they only let you see his reactions. Yes. <laughs> so he's got to deliver some just real, like, uh, punch in the gut type of deliveries for, for what he's seeing. And sometimes it's just like, just show, just show the body, show the gore. It would be a lot easier than <laughs> us having to intuit from his horrible sort of twisted reaction. Uh, what's going on? So I don't know. It just, it, it makes me laugh. What did, what did you think of the intro to his character where uh, he has another monologue of basically like three or four racist jokes at a police station? Yeah, caught me off guard pretty early. He just, he just came out. <laughs> he comes out swinging, just, just uh, uh, dropping slurs. And it's very, it's very strange. I don't, I just don't understand why, like why they made that choice. <laughs> to your point, I think maybe, I think you're right. Maybe it was just, that's what he was delivering. They're like, all right, let's just turn the camera on. We're just going to film. That's all he's going to do. So we're just going to film this. It felt like either like a holdover from like something from a 70s movie, which you could see for the like the writer, director, and people, some of the people involved. Because yeah. um, being like the um, French connection, like Popeye Doyle kind of thing. And it just like, oh, that's that's what we that's what you do with these. And then ignoring the whole like run of 80s movies of making people likable. Oh, uh, um, yeah, I know. That's yeah. And, or it also kind of felt like maybe George C. Scott came in with like 
think my character would be a racist. He's an old Boston cop. So I think I think we got a uh, I, I, I got some a little monologue here I've been working on. And it's like, <laughs> all right, sure. Go ahead. We'll film it. And uh, it's like, sir, this uh, this is you insulting every single <laughs> every single uh, culture there is. It's like, yeah, that's right. That's what this guy would do because he hates but people. Like, it, it feels so out of nowhere because, <laughs> yeah, it's just has nothing to do with anything other than like all right this guy's an old racist i uh yeah yeah but he loves basketball we'll find that out later too he loves basketball <laughs> he loves being in georgetown i actually missed the boston part is he was he supposed to be a boston cop oh that's right it's not boston i'm putting out because he makes fun of the irish at one point i think of <laughs> Sorry, <it's been> <laughs> but yeah an old dc cop <laughs> i uh yeah fair okay but yeah he he, he is this um kind of haggard old man there's a lot of this the first half of this movie that's just old men and i think for the first 30 <laughs> minutes of this i just thought it was old men who would go see movies and have lunch together and that's <laughs> that's all this kind of is for a while yeah not in a bad way because george scott and ed flanders are both they're both the predominant people you see for like 25 minutes of this movie <laughs> um and they're both just old men like talking to each other and they and it was, it's, I couldn't decide if I loved it or hated it because they write them what they're saying to each other. It's really hard to keep track of what they're talking about. And I couldn't tell yeah. if it was like poor writing or if it's great writing because these two, it's establishing them as like old friends who they can talk to each other like this and understand the meaning behind it because they have like decades of friendship to go on and we're like catching up to them so i was like i was like, I don't know i don't know how i feel about it. i feel like this this stuff is vague generic nonsense or it's like specifically establishing them as such good close friends that it works and i was, I was like i don't know i can't i can't i can't decide where it's at their their relationship for the most part worked for me i i, I thought that um i could i could buy their friendship it, it does feel real but it also is one of those things of like, I'm going to sound mean when I say this, but I'm like, again, they're just old guys hanging out together. So I'm yeah. like, <laughs> kind of, it kind of just feels like that's what they would do anyway. So the the, the chemistry there is is real. The hard part I had, exactly what you, what you just said, is it's really hard to tell what is, is supposed to be the movie. And it's just these two older established actors, you know, doing stuff. It's just... <laughs> I felt like the first part of this movie, you don't really get a good sense of of where it's headed, uh, because this is focused on the you know it ultimately yeah. is focused on the Gemini killer, and you really don't get that introduced until like maybe forty five minutes into this. Uh, maybe maybe it's not that long, but it feels like before you get to the Brad Dorf stuff, it's 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 quite some time. Yeah. I, I... Because you see a couple deaths and things, so you get that, but and I, I think it is just <laughs> considering it's made in 1990, you're just hanging out with these two old men, and it's such an something you don't get from a Hollywood movie that's normally <laughs> obsessed with like youth mm -hmm. and things so that you're kind of like well has the movie really started yet like it's just going to be these guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's like you just that's... don't get big like oh there's not a 38 year old who's going to come in or as a as like a hot shot young detective or like a 25 year old like yeah it's 
at his even George partner C. to George C. Scott or yeah. Yeah, like even George C. Scott's daughter, who's supposed to be a teenager in this, feels like she's 35. <laughs> it's like, I could nobody... not place an age for her at all. No, Some of it is so because weird. he seems so old. His wife seems 20 years younger than him. But old too. Yeah. And, and then she seems like completely independent. But but lives but at home. Maybe a teenager. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. It's yeah, it's very strange. And I think I think like they did every all person that. in this movie, there's like a like a 15 year range where I would believe their age. <laughs> <laughs> I think to your point, I think they did a lot of that just to I think the attempt was to de-age George C. Scott. Yeah. But it it, it actually it, had a sort of a reverse effect. Yes. It. <laughs> so, it just makes him seem older. Yeah, it's like, oh, guys, this, didn't, this really didn't come together the way you thought it would. Um, I feel bad for them. Um, uh, it looks like, sorry, I'm looking at your face. It looks like you're in in a sunrise right now. Oh, yeah. The sun just rose uh, over the house across the street, and I forgot to close the blinds here. So I'm going to be like, like blind. You look like you're in the Gemini Killer cell now. From this, all this yeah. <laughs> unnaturally bright lighting that's coming through. <laughs> oh, which I will say, I love the lighting in a lot of this movie. It does look fantastic at times. They really capture. The, yeah, I like the cinematography. Uh, creepy atmosphere, like nice um, nighttime shots with some fog, and and obviously the borrowing from Friedkin in the first one of just kind of that's recaptured oh, that feel. Yeah. And so, like, but they do, they do, they effectively do it. They, they do. It looks and, great and, and creepy. And... Sorry, I keep going. I, I keep trying to interrupt mm. you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's it. Uh, I, I agree. I was going to actually say they, they do it a couple of times and it feels a little <laughs> cheesy the first time, but they, uh, they, they take you back to the steps that are at the conclusion of the first one quite a bit. And those are always very moody and foggy and, and you know there's there's something supernatural about them and I like that stuff and I like the, the shots of Georgetown at night. It, it does look scary. It has a Everything feels ominous. The only sets for me that don't really work, and unfortunately, it's where they spend a lot of their time, is uh, uh, a lot of bad shit happens in this, like a like a ninety square foot radius of uh, or ninety foot radius from this one cell inside of a, uh, a hospital in Georgetown. <laughs> that was I, my only issue with it. But I, yeah, yeah, I was surprised, and that that never really bumped me. The couple times I've seen the movie, I I, I think. Because that set goes into a, I don't want to say like a dream sequence logic, but it goes into a supernatural logic where it supernatural shit starts happening in it. And so there's like, it gets bigger or smaller or lighted differently or like the floor breaks open or um that. So I, I guess I, I guess it, it just never it just never felt like a real place so much to me as like a metaphysical almost place. So like, I don't know. I guess it didn't bother me. I never looked at it from the standpoint of trying to put logic on it from like the real world. <laughs> but like when I think about it now, it's is a little weird. It has like forty foot ceilings. <laughs> Uh, yes, with, uh, these cells for uh, insane criminals or whatever they are. At least ceilings high enough for a relatively old person to do gymnastics across the ceiling. And what, but do they say it's in the basement as well? 
I thought it was like the fourth floor. Okay, of, that would make probably more sense, maybe, but <laughs> just because um uh it's room four eleven they keep focusing on. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, that would have but, some logic uh, to it. <laughs> well, that's that probably a good point. What was your? You've seen this before. So, what was your experience with this? So, there's a very famous jump scare in this movie. Um, that it's the the one that you said didn't do anything for you. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't work. Uh, that I was aware of, and actually, it's probably why I watched it. The first of just seeing some like dialogue of like, oh, like Exorcist Three is actually pretty good, and it's got a great jump scare in it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's like I, I've kind of had always heard these sequels kind of really dismissed. Um, and so I, so the first time. Actually, it was probably a few years ago. Um, had no idea what to expect, and you know, generally enjoyed it as a bit of a supernatural horror police procedural kind of thing. Um, I really wish I hadn't known about the jump scare because I do think it is. I I really like it, but I'm always like waiting for it to come because I am like hyper aware of it. Um, so I guess, I guess spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't want to just fast forward. Uh, there's a scene at a hospital with, um, a nurse and she's, it just like takes a long time building of just this like very long shot of her and the security guard, like moving around this hallway and the jump scares at the end. It's like this kind of all white dress, like angel of death <laughs> just comes out of nowhere with these giant scissors they've established and like to like cut her head off. Uh, uh, it, it, but it's like I think it works because you're seeing the scene for so long you're yeah, waiting I, for a jump and they actually do a smaller <clears throat> jump scare in right a kind of cutaway right before it so I, I, thought, think, I thought that was the jump scare <laughs> right so I think you're like oh so you're like that's what they've been building towards to get me with that one and so then it comes back to the long shot of the hallway and you probably like relaxed a bit and then you get it again. Um, uh, sorry, really, but so anyway, uh, I'm a big, big George C. Scott fan. So the movie just goes a long way for me of just getting to watch him. Yeah. Just act because he's basically other than the scenes we get of um, the kind of killings, he's basically in every other scene. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's the focal point of the movie. Uh, and so I think he's a, a great actor, an interesting actor. And so that carries it a long way for me of when the plot's maybe not fully making sense, especially the last third of it where it gets really supernatural and you can see the battle between the studio and the director of where they take things. Yeah. Um, that even when that says I'm still enjoying seeing and then it helps to um, he's often uh, at that point you got Brad Dorif going uh, crazy Brad Dorif which is always entertaining <laughs> as well uh, so it's got some great fun performances like I can see why there are people who um, really like this because there are so many shitty horror movie like sequels out there that even you, you get one that has some good scary moments, has a couple of great performances, and has like solid directing cinematography. 
it's like, oh, this is already starting so far ahead of so many genre movies in just the talent uh, involved that, yeah, it's pretty good. It's fun. I, I mean, I would definitely, if someone was like a horror movie fan, be like, yeah, check that one out. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I, this is my first time watching it. I, um, <clears throat> I, I agree with you that uh, even when this thing is a little weaker, uh, uh, the performance is really elevated. Um, Scott's doing a lot of work for this movie. And uh, um, Dorf, we, we'll talk about Brian. We'll talk about Brad Dorf in a few <laughs> minutes. Uh, uh, but he's he's definitely bringing something special. I think if you didn't have probably those two guys, this is a straight to DVD movie or straight to VHS movie. Yeah, in nineteen ninety. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I, if it, trying to think if there's anyone who comes to mind to throw into these roles who would be, but yeah, if you just had like B-level, C-level actors in those roles, it would be pretty painful to watch. I, I agree. I, I agree. Hold on one second. I have a, I have a visit. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wynn came out here Ooh. and, and uh, looked at me. It's clear he just woke up. <laughs> and then he just was like, saw what I was doing. He just slowly closed the door back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess he was not impressed. Um, (laughs) Well, it's hard. It's hard to imagine this with somebody else in it to me because they've engineered so much of the movie around. It feels like the whole cast was engineered around George C. Scott and trying to get good, you know, bigger performances um, with him and stuff. I don't know. It's 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 tough to uh, so (laughs) it's tough to imagine who else you could you could move into that. So we've heard from a, a, a significant percentage of our listeners. They want us to bring back <laughs> the uh, cast color weathers in in a segment of this. And so it's interesting. I've not thought about it without him in the sense of I've thought about it without him with like a bad actor. But what a, like what it'd be interesting with a different good actor in this role. So even like a Carl Weathers who I mean would be miscast in Oh yeah, this role certainly, but would bring a, a very bring different energy. vibe <laughs> to it. But even like, I mean, it's probably a little early, but like a Morgan Freeman. Um, I don't think or, it's too early. I'm, I think Morgan Freeman's just like George C. Scott, where he's one of those guys who's just right, been perpetually like 50 forever. Feels kind of old, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. 1990, an actor who would have been. Is Sidney Poitier too old, or he's probably still too young at that point? Um, yeah, I think no, because he he would have I mean basically contemporary of George C. Scott as far as that's what know, I was, like, as soon as it, yeah in in the four in the 60s, he's probably a little younger than him, but that probably makes him about right. <laughs> um, let's see, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up 1990 movies, see if anything anything oh, yeah. jumps out as a. Uh, but yeah, well, Hunt so, for Red so, October, they get a Sean Connery in here. <laughs> no, he he would have phoned that shit in. There's no way. <laughs> oh, that that'd be its own form of of amazing. <laughs> I tried to start watching Zardoz the other night, and I was having a really hard time. Like what? Like what is this? All right, so uh, another forty. So what about like a Nick Nolte in 1990? I think Nolte by that point had already 
wrapped himself in the envelope of having a being a substance abuse laden cop. Yeah, I'm still and, trying to think like solid Nick Nolte. Um, because this is before he goes Prince of Tides, and I think, um, he yeah, I, I like Nick Nolte, but I just in my head, he, he's forever Jack Cates in 48 Hours, and he <laughs> never really gets out of that, out of that role. Like, there's there's too much of him that's wrapped into that role. <laughs> All right, what about like a Kurt Russell? Uh, too young. Too young. Man. All right. I, I got to find a, a sweet he, spot he, for you. peak Tango and Cash era. Kurt Russell. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, yeah. You're He's, not going to get that hair in, in Georgetown. Nobody had that kind of style. All right. What about, I mean, now we're going too crazy. But what about like a De Niro? <laughs> yeah. That's like age appropriate. Because that's where he's doing Goodfellas in 1990. He, I think he's the right age. I, yeah. I, I'm good with that. I mean, obviously, I'm sure the people making Exorcist Three would have taken Robert De Niro if he wanted Over to do George it. George C. Scott, yeah, if uh, he was interested. Like, but, um, but I'm just, so I'm just thinking of like, like what the energy, what the movie would feel like if you if you had 1990 Robert De Niro in it. But that also, like, I don't know. It these become t- the whole movie, though. These it, become it, tough it, mental exercises because that probably increases the budget significantly because now it's a Robert De Niro movie and and then if he believes in the script he can probably throw his weight around and be like no we're doing the script that's what I signed up for like in the studio will probably go along with his wishes and so um I think I think you if you change if you do something that dramatic you have to change the entire kind of plot and the energy and the pacing of the movie because from, from watching watching it uh, and this is my first time watching it but it, it stood out to me it was just <clears throat> it seems to follow the pace of what i would expect from a 60 plus year old man it's it's a little slow it's not meandering <laughs> but it's just it's just very methodical and very kind of by the facts and it's from very a to b type of movie. i guess you're right a younger like his the old man <laughs> energy is kind of important because <laughs> you don't expect him to do that much in yeah. a weird way. Like, so like him just like walking into scenes and like talking to people feels correct for him. But if you had a younger, you'd expect them to like chase somebody or get into a fight or something. And like, <laughs> there's definitely also scenes in this makes him feel more vulnerable as well. Of, yes. Like, this person is at risk of, um, Definitely at the end, uh, when when it actually turns physical for for uh, Kinderman's character, I'm like, oh, he's not surviving this. Yeah, like, I was like, oh, this guy like broke some bones, or his health is never the same again. Yes. Like he's he's just slowed down, and he's like, this is like a his hip is gone forever. Like, like he's he's not walking on that hip again. <laughs> like they're like they're gonna be at his daughter and wife are gonna be at his funeral talking about how like. Oh, he probably would have lasted ten more years if it hadn't been for that. Uh, Gemini sure is repossessing but, his best friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I guess that's. I mean, we should probably talk about it. Like, there. Well, uh, yeah. Before we do, well, fuck it. Let's just talk. I, so there, this is about I, uh, e. Scott's character, and there's a serial killer loose again in uh, <clears throat> in Georgetown, and. Uh, it ends up killing his friend, uh, uh, Father Dyer, uh, again, killing another connection to the first movie. But what's 
interesting is uh, there's this dream sequence where George C. Scott's character is after his, I think it's after his friend's been killed. And he's having this weird dream. And I think they're, are they all in the basketball court in Georgetown or? No, they're just in like a place a that looks like kind of like heaven. Okay. And they're like angels walking around. And... Yeah. It's the weirdest. I, I'm curious how much their budget went to the, because it's only $11 million budget. So I'm, I'm curious how much of the budget went to uh, this uh, scene in the, in the movie. Um, because it's got, it's, this is the one with, uh, Fabio's in it. Yes. <laughs> um, which I mean, everybody. Which is immediately jarring. <laughs> yeah, like that took me out of it. I. Uh, um, and then it, it, this has got Patrick Ewing. Yeah, you have <laughs> Patrick Ewing. It's that John Thompson, <clears throat> the old Georgetown coach. It's got C. Everett Coop, the old Attorney General. Yeah, and then it, and not this kind of cameo, but now watching it is also uh, playing a blind man, and it is a really young Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> So I missed that. I I saw Patrick. Ewing yeah, that one's pretty quick and easy to miss the, the Sam Jackson one. But well, and the other thing too, this is super weird. Larry King's in this when they're yes, at right. one point. Larry King's in, and I'm like, I don't understand why all these famous people are doing cameos in this. Like, and it's the one dream sequence. There's no re other than having those people in it to be like, what a weird dream sequence. There's yeah. no meaning to it. <laughs> You think it's like uh, Blatley was just, he's obviously a Georgetown uh, um, fan. Yeah, this maybe is, he just wanted to get meet those guys. And like, yeah, he's like, he's like, how could I, like, what way can I use my fame and my, my limited ability on this to actually meet uh, uh, Patrick Ewing? And so he, 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 he's like, I'm going to cast him uh, while he's. But, but, so he, but he wanted to throw people off the scent and that's what he was doing. So he brought in Fabio. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. It's, it's just a weird dream sequence. Just getting these random people that happen to be like people it, I really want to meet. <laughs> it's weird to me that George C., George, George C. Scott's character, who's already established with this old fart of a guy, is dreaming about like 30 people 30 years younger than him. And like that's <laughs> exclusively who's in this dream sequence. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I I didn't I didn't think about it until I there's saw. There's never another dream sequence in the movie, so it like yeah, it's like what is the point of this? Yeah, it's very strange, and because uh, we don't need that to establish it as a dream sequence. Like, there's angels walking around. He's talking to so at the opening of the movie, um, a young boy is murdered. Yeah, and it turns out like George C. Scott kind of knew him, um. And he, so he's like talking to him in the dream sequence. He's like, okay, so we know this is a dream sequence. He's t- there are angels walking around and he's talking to a dead kid. Like, <laughs> we didn't need the grounding of Patrick Ewing uh, <laughs> showing no. up. No, I, uh, which I, I didn't realize this and I felt like an idiot because I, did, I didn't look it up after the fact. But uh, Ewing played for Georgetown up until 85. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Georgetown with him won championship in 84. And he's actually current the current coach of Georgetown, or at least up through the, the past season. Yeah, he's not. He was fired. He's not anymore. He's fired. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Patrick. <laughs> I kind of figured when it just said didn't yeah. say two thousand or to current or whatever. So, um, it's just strange. I really want to touch on that. The celebrity, the celebrity, um, uh, cameos are just so bizarre of a choice, but it does feel completely selfish of of Blatley. Like I. I got a way to get these guys. I'm gonna talk. I get. I get. I had a chance to talk to Patrick Ewing for four hours. He can't go anywhere because technically he works for me for this four hours. Like, 
Like, tell me about the 84 season. I want to know, I want to know what was happening. <laughs> um, now, I, I will say in defense of that, the film is so firmly set in Georgetown. Um, that there is a logic to like, like, oh, this old man has random celebrities in his dreams that those would yeah. be people who kind of make sense for that. Um, that like, it's probably not too in touch with, uh, like, <laughs> pop, pop culture. Like, yeah. Uh, Weird. seems like Fabio was probably on like the cover of a book his wife was reading. Uh, his wife is actually sleeping with Fabio in this movie. <laughs> Deleted scenes. Yes, uh, it's actually she, she's having her uh, torrid affair with Fabio. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I just wanted to touch on that. I, I think it, it it makes me laugh. Um, and it all I it feels like something I would want to do if I was probably in Bradley's shoes. <laughs> yeah. But, um. But yeah. So I um. Uh. That that. That th- that sequence of murders and that dream sequence is sort of what starts us down the path now of uh, George C. Scott realizing that there's a uh, a copycat of the Gemini killer that is a ki- Did, was he the one was was Kenderman the character who actually arrested fifteen or well not fifteen years prior <laughs> but you know sometime earlier the uh, the Gemini killer you know I don't remember I don't they may not say it actually. Which is not a bad thing. I don't think they need to say it, frankly. Um, uh, and, and every time I read a plot synopsis of this movie online, yeah, um, makes less and less sense. <laughs> yeah, they're all horror. Like they all extrapolate so like yeah. a few pieces of logic. That's like, well, that's not definitely in the movie. A hundred percent. You're connecting <laughs> some dots that I don't know if they like, if that's we should there. be. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's very hard to get like a solid grounding of some of the plot stuff in this now. And some of it is because it's supernatural. Some of it, I think is the movie is intentionally trying to be a little like mysterious with that stuff. And then some of it is, it gets confusing at the end because the studio is shoehorning in exorcisms. Um, So you kind of lose your footing a little bit. Yeah. And that might be me trying to put my own, thought process into it i don't i actually don't think kinderman's the guy who arrests him but but he he was the friend of i guess he was there when karis dies and that and that's that's the big reveal with, with brad door yeah is uh um uh, and i'm jumping around i, I do kind of want to touch on one one thing but the, the the part of the reason why george c scott's character is involved is his friend uh dyer is is killed in the in in the hospital <laughs> and i love I don't know why I love the scene. It's just, it's so weird. Um, uh, Kinderman's body is just in the bed. There's no blood. And then George C. Scott's walking around. There's all these little containers, like these little uh, like blood and urine containers just sitting on a table. And he's just like, what is this? What is this? It's like, that's his blood. It was drained from his drop. Every drop. None of it spilled. (laughs) Just like, why? Who fucking cares? It's such a weird... And that's one of the weird things in this movie is like that stuff. It's like, okay, that's pretty. That's kind of creepy. It scary. is. But we never get an explanation of like, why? How? Why? Why? Like, like, I don't mind not knowing how. That adds like an element like of supernatural scariness to it. But what was is the purpose of doing that? <laughs> like, 
for, the, for this killer. Like, it, well, so obviously it's like exorcist, so like possession going on, like the devil and things. Like, like there should be some sort of ritual significance. Yes, it's never for, for this that will help bring back demonic powers or something that. But it's just like, oh, kind of feels like this guy's just fucking with you. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Or like maybe showing up, like I can drain all the blood from a body. Look, I, I just no, it doesn't to, have any meaning. I just have to believe that that must take hours of work. Yeah, <laughs> to not get caught doing that just feels preposterous to me. Well, the okay. way they they interview a nurse, and you basically find out the timing of it. Like he had to have done it in like had to have been done in about fifty five minutes. Because a nurse checks him at like five a.m. and is back at six a.m. to check on him, and he's dead. And yeah, like, so like I that. think like in a really short window to get all that blood out. I I just uh, having never killed anybody, nor do I intend to. Um, <laughs> it just seems like that would be a very difficult timing challenge to maybe pull all of that but off as cleanly as he does. It's also like right, every drop. Like, how do you know every drop? Like, you check the body. <laughs> like, what? Like, there's not. Like an I, uh, there's not like a ounce or two left in a leg or like what what's yeah. the... <laughs> let's open him up i don't quite believe this this seems like bullshit. Yeah. um yeah I, I i i the hospital stuff they spend so much time from the, from the midpoint of the movie on in, in this hospital it's just it, it's it's such a wild um wild way to characterize how dangerous or eerie this character you know the 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 killer of this uh his friend is it's to your point they just don't pay it off of as to other than i guess the gemini's it's something he enjoyed yeah so it and it even when brad dorf's given like one of his monologues it even kind of talks about how part of the reason like i don't know if the devil possessing him or a demon or exactly what um what you want to call it but he was already a killer and that's, I think, part of the reason why either the devil was able to possess him or chose him. But like, so like some of the killings he does, he admits like, well, there are some I do for me. That's so it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> like a, a director in Hollywood. Like, well, I did one for me, did one for them, and uh, and it's like so sometimes got. sometimes I got to do the killings the devil wants so that I get to go do the killings I want to do. And so like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, but he admits like like. Yeah, that really wasn't my style, but I just had to had to get it done, you know. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, but that one, that one, that one was all me. That was all old uh, old Gemini killer on that one. Old Gemini. <laughs> does he even? Do they even give him a name? I'm trying to think of like. I think uh, they do. I forget now. <laughs> well, I, in the I'm credits, he's just the Gemini killer, but I think he does have a name. Um, oh, James uh, Venomum or Venomum. They never use it. If they if they give that to you at all, it's it's one time. Like that's the yeah. <laughs> that's the um uh yeah. I so I, I there this is sprinkled or this this medical ward is littered with all of these um sort of <laughs> yeah well, one crazy people. Go ahead. I, you're gonna say something. Go ahead. So this feels you can tell this book and script were written like a decade earlier. Yeah. Because so this hospital is also seems to be like a mental institution. 
and things. And I think by 1990, like Reagan had phased that shit out and like closed all those kind of places for the most part. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and so it just feel why well, I couldn't believe watching when I went to go watch it again. It was looking up stuff. I was like, this is 1990. Like. 1990 that's like my lifetime like that's like very much like a movie that came like there are <laughs> movies that came out in 1990 that like i saw it at the movie theater and it was like i mean like, i don't know like very very aware of 1990 movies in many ways and it's like and so some of it is just george c scott because you just think of him more um 60s 70s uh type of movies um but then it's just the whole vibe of it is so much older but yeah so i don't know so what are your thoughts of this mental institution though uh everybody here that's what i was gonna say there's a lot of false positives in this movie it's just <laughs> bad people and horrible things that are gonna happen that don't actually ever really happen and i will i will say that i like that that they have some nurses and doctors where you just keep expecting this they're gonna somehow reveal that there's a misdirect or uh, that, that they're evil and they've been actually helping the Gemini killer. And uh, some of that stuff works. I can't remember what her name is. It's uh, the one of the nurses at the very end who yeah, you, yeah. you think she's going to possess, they're going to help help um, the Gemini possess a child, which is kind of like what they've done in the first exorcist. Uh, and it doesn't go that way. And that, that actually caught me off guard. I kept expecting like, okay, that's, that's going to be the big reveal. Yeah. I think it's nurse don't. Allerton. Yes. And, uh, um they yeah. play her really well walking a line of being kind of evil seeming very evil but then at the end it's actually a, a benign character so and i really uh, like that character because it reminds me of people nurses and people in that kind of role that i've met in my life who she's kind of rough around the edges yeah and so like she doesn't necessarily like wow well, she's a nurse because like i don't get a vibe of like I get more of a sharp pointy vibe off of her as opposed to like a caring, loving vibe. Um, and so like it, it feels like and so she like kind of battles George. It's like, oh, but like then by the end, like, oh, she's just like really competent and good at her job and does care in her way. It's just not like a cuddly, touchy feely yeah. person, but is a loving, compassionate person. Um uh, and so, yeah, I just felt authentic to people I have seen who can be like super like feel tough as nails, but then there's like a soft side to them as well. Yeah, I I, I ended up liking it. I thought I thought they did a good job. Uh, and again, they 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 it's a good they use her for a good misdirect later on in the movie. But th yeah, this whole ward seems to be littered with uh, just crazy people, and uh, um, I would say lackadaisical or or dispassionate nursing and doctor uh, doctor staff <laughs> throughout uh, a guy named scott wilson plays the doctor in this who oh my god he's out of like a cronenberg movie or something <laughs> <laughs> he's bringing like this uh okay i'm doing some illegal shit in this place and i hope that, that this all these murders that keep happening in this wing don't somehow reveal <laughs> what i'm actually like i'm actually doing because there's a point where like um, the Gemini killer kind of acknowledges he has been using that doctor to a degree, but man, it's like, man, I think that doctor's had a lot of shady shit going yeah. on. Like, I think he, he's on like he's like snorting prescription drugs at times. <laughs> or, like, he seems... Well, he's got like pictures of naked women in his office. 
Yeah, and it, with an open door. It's it's not even like it's a uh, it's a um, it's like what are we going for? And then he just has like a really seedy vibe and seems really threatened talking to this police officer and like <laughs> it's yeah his whole energy in this is, is strange but but yeah to, to your point I mean, like, he feels like a coke addict it's basically what he well it turns out later on we find out heroin addict <laughs> yeah. so you weren't too far off at least i assume that's what they were trying to tell. I, I i couldn't i wasn't sure if it was supposed to be he's doing the drugs to just overdose and kill himself you know peacefully or if truly like he's like he's got a substance problem. That's what's going on here. It's it's such a <laughs> a little bit of both, I think. <laughs> so, what do you think about these? Uh, this lovely, um, uh, 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 nut house. Well, fortunately, it has the one thing this movie was lacking: old people. We just get a lot more <laughs> old exclusively, <people. laughs> yeah, exclusively old people. That uh, <laughs> I, I think yeah. it works. I think, but I think I actually think that old person vibe and like a crazy adds a level of like scary creepiness to it of like an old just like an old lady being like do you see my radio and it's like holding like nothing it's like it's it worked i think georgie scott is great talking to them too of like you kind of get a bit of a softer side of him yeah um and that he does seem to have some compassion and kindness and some ability to talk to them and that uh but it is a little uh it's it's a little hackneyed in the sense that like we've we've seen <laughs> the crazy old people ward in a movie, you know, many times before. Um the yeah. one I really do like though is when uh it has the old lady crawling on the ceiling. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's, That's awesome. that is a really effective horror movie, like <laughs> horror I, uh... movie moment. I I really enjoy I really I like that a lot too and I really enjoy um it seems like she's doing tumbles so it seems like she's not even like it's supposed to be one part like uh um uh oh god she's she's trying to like stealthily get out of the room while so George C. Scott can't can't hear her but then the other part of it is uh it seems like she's having fun with it and she's just rolling around <laughs> and <laughs> like like that's her exercise for the day is just to crawl on the ceiling <laughs> and do some tumbles. So. Got my steps in. Exactly. Man, I love when I get possessed. Get a it's lot raining. of exercise done. Yeah, I can't go for my walk, so I guess I'm gonna do tumbles on the ceiling. So I uh yeah, I really I really did like that part. I thought that was fun. And it's fun because you know it's it's practical it's practical effect. You know how they did it. They just they just did a mat over the top, but it's it's fun to watch uh uh watch practical effects like that. So, yeah, and it's um, it's actually I wish the movie had like two more moments like that. Yeah, they don't of, mean into of, the supernatural that heightened that supernatural horror like moments. Uh, um because like, oh, this is it feels very creepy, feels very threatening, it makes him feel very at risk. Um that yeah, but, I could have used a couple more but you're moments right, like that to they, heighten they, things. They really don't pay it off that well. Like they could have done more with it to really <clears throat> to really make it make it um effective. Well, I guess they do have Jesus open his eyes. <laughs> Y'all suck about that. I laughed and I know I think you Me did too. too. Yeah. And it, it's it's because um so the beginning of this, I think when the first kill happens, um uh uh yeah, it is because it's when it's when yeah. I believe uh uh Dyer is being killed. Um no, no, door... 
Or it's is the it, is boy the at the beginning, right? Yeah, it's the, a kid. At, what was With the, the, the police boys, police yes. boys club <laughs> t-shirt on. That is the police boys club is like sounds like a sex cult. I don't know. <laughs> right, in a movie filled with like Catholic priests and imagery. <laughs> also, a police boys club is that makes my mind <laughs> wonder what was happening in DC. Takes you in other places, yeah. yeah. I uh, but uh, yeah, it was like it, the police in Catholic Church were maybe in on some <laughs> things. Uh, it turns out they were, yeah. uh, uh, especially especially in the, this time period. But yeah, the 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 crucifix of Jesus, and he's opening his eyes. I laughed because one, it's such a wild decision because it implies <laughs> it implies that somebody built the crucifix with the capacity for Jesus to even open his eyes, which doesn't make sense. And two, when he does open his eyes. They shoot it from this weird kind of cocked angle of the front of the face. And so it looks like he's just annoyed. It doesn't look like it's supposed to. It's like, why am I awake? Why did you wake up to Jesus? (laughs) And it's, what is the meaning of it? Exactly. I no idea. Because it's like the devil is coming to kill somebody. So it's like, the presence of evil has disturbed Jesus and awoken him. (laughs) (laughs) But then Jesus doesn't do shit. <laughs> no, he never he never comes to anybody's rescue in this. I, he gets I, his I, fucking head cut off. <laughs> I wonder um, if, to me, this is one of those where if, if they're trying to go supernatural, make the crucifix bleed or... I think they did have that. Did um, they do that? Okay. So they yeah. just they were just doubling down on, on yeah. like, hey, we know this is how this is supposed to go, but we're really going to add some, we're going to put an extra special touch on this. And but yeah, make, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, the closed face, and then the eyes pop over. It's like, hi, <laughs> it's Jesus. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that one, that one did it for me. I, I, I really because everything that. else in that scene is pretty effective and creepy, and that is just because, like, it takes you out of it. Really yeah. takes you out of it. I, uh, you know, a, cho- a choice that, uh maybe didn't quite work <laughs> no no but I, I i'm glad they made it i'll say that <laughs> the movie's better yeah. for it for sure um well all right so we haven't really talked about it yet we probably should but because we're an hour into this podcast <laughs> um but what uh uh what do we think about uh the gemini killer and the whole uh father karis aspect of this it's weird and confusing. <laughs> <laughs> you better play pay really close attention if you want to put together. I think they explain just about everything, but it's like if you missed two lines, <laughs> you probably were a little lost into what uh what this was. So basically, Father Karis is at is like dying. And is at like the Gemini killers like execution. I think it's I think it's um it all takes place in the same night. It's supposed yes, to be like yeah. overlapping events, if you will. Okay. And so the Gemini killer basically his soul takes over Father Karis's body. But because Father Karis was like so far gone and was basically like dead already, and like his body was basically brain dead, he can't just possess it and now go about the business. He has to spend 15 years, I guess, basically like fixing the body. And so it's, we finally hit that time where he's like repaired it enough where now he can do 
perform actions or go possess other people. Um, and then, and I, it works as like a creepy thing, but it is also a little vague and weird. So they have, so uh, like Kinderman's in there like talking to this patient and sometimes it's Father Karras and the actor playing Father Karras. And then Disney sometimes yeah. it switches to being Brad Dorif as the Gemini killer. It's who you see. Yeah. And so there's a switch back and forth in it. What I could never quite get, what does Kendra, what does George C. Scott's character see? Is, like, is he literally seeing Brad Dorif? Or is that just for the movie audience as a visual guide of like, this is who's in control of the body right now. Cause that's weird. If that's, I mean, that's kind of makes sense. And it's an interesting touch, but if George C. Scott can literally see them switching back and forth of what they physically look like, that's weird. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, I had the same question too. I am of the mind that it's Jason. Well, it's Karis, sorry. Jason Miller's the actor, but it's, it's, it's father Karis and that they're just using the physical changes for, it's it's for the audience's benefit to understand the different phases or levels of um, when the Gemini killer is coming out. I I will do some work for them because <laughs> to me, if if it's if it's a shape shifting body that's sitting <laughs> in a, a medical cell, I'm like somebody should have known about that for right that's, earlier than 15 years. <laughs> I I think it has to just be for the audience. Otherwise, there's too many questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, if yeah, I, I definitely let that get to me. And I was like, if I just keep going with this, I'm never going to re- remember anything else in this movie other than uh, yeah. the only way I could see it, if it's like the devil doing this to like fuck with George C. Scott, because like this was your friend and your friends were making him the Gemini killer now. And if it's there's a supernatural thing, but it's only and almost if it's a hallucination. Yeah. By George C. Scott to a degree of like we've infiltrated your mind to make you see this. Um, so I, I can kind of buy some other explanations for it, um, but it's definitely takes a moment as the audience to kind of be like, okay, what are they go- What's going on here? And what are they going for? Um, yeah, I uh, it's I like that that you you get. I guess where I had a hard time with this was uh, I like Brad Dorf's acting in this, and I, I like. I wish we gotten more of Jason Miller. I think the scenes where Miller is, they show him to be the possessed body are, are, are pretty effective mm. um, with the orange eyes at the end or yellow eyes at the end. And then, um, uh, but it, it's too much. Uh, what, I, what I didn't like this was there's almost too much dialogue. It's too much of. It, it's it's really like scenery chewing. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just Brad Dorf doing monologues and he does a great job, but he crushes it. Uh, mm. It's just, that is a lot of the back half of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and just... I had questions too about what was because his voice, sometimes he's like Brad Dorf, normal yeah. Brad Dorf voice, what you know are used to from Brad Dorf. And then sometimes it gets like deeper and like and so I was trying to figure out what was Brad Dorf, what was Brad Dorf ADR, and what was potentially someone else doing ADR on Brad Dorf. Because I was like, if this is all Brad Dorf. Even AD, if it's him ADR sometimes, but like modulating his voice and stuff, it's like really impressive. Yeah. Like, yeah. but I think there are times where it's not, it's a different 
voice. It's a different actor's voice, show uh, like deepening the possession or, or something. Uh, I, I couldn't I, I quite tell. Right. Um, I, I so I'd, I'd be very curious to kind of get some more information on uh on what they did. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, Brad Dorf is grassy the attraction for him to be in this. He gets these long, evil mon- like monologues to deliver. Yeah, no, I mean, he he gets to sell it. Like, or I think he gets to sell his abilities. It's probably a better way to, for me to say that. Yeah, all I could think was like, man, it would be t- terrifying to take have taken like an acting class with Brad Dorif. <laughs> Just like where he can go of see like of believably seeming crazy. <laughs> I was like, that would be fucking terrifying. Uh yeah, he's. Uh, you definitely get some hints of Chucky uh, coming out so, during his monologue. At one point in this movie, his character says it's child's play. It's got it, that, it has so to is, be. Is a, that a intentional? Pun. It feels yeah, really it has, weird. It has, this movie. No, it has, has that be. intentionally because 1990 be. is the same year as Child's Play too. So like, oh it's yeah, been, yeah, like it's been out. Like this is the thing in in the world now. Um, but as it, for this movie, I don't know. I was like. <laughs> I was like, or like he just did it, and like the people making the movie weren't aware of the connection. That like Blantley is just so focused on what he's doing that that uh doesn't even pick up on the yeah. fact that it's a, a terrible pun. Um. So, uh, do you do you want to hear uh the some Star Trek? So, yeah, I was actually wait. I was gonna say, all right, I, at some point you're gonna have to tie in all the Star Trek elements for um, us on this. So yes, please. So my favorite Trek. part of this uh <laughs> of Brad Dorif being the evil. So in Star Trek Voyager, he basically plays like the Gemini killer <laughs> in in an episode <laughs> where he's a character who basically is a serial killer who loves killing, and that's why he joined this like resistance group because he was like, "Oh, this will be a place where I can kill and, and like get a, like it won't be evil <laughs> like to do. I'll be like get that out of my system." Um, but they've, they've been trapped in this place where he can't do it. And so he's kind of like going crazy, but then the ship gets, but he's trying to like work out these demons. Yeah. And then the ship gets taken over and he's the only one who doesn't get captured. Um, and so basically like, it's like him and like a hologram. So the hologram can't like go interact. And I was like, well, you're going to have to go like get these and basically like you have all these skills to like murder people like stealthily, like, and but you can see it's like destroying him on the inside to give into these dark impulses. <laughs> but he's just like dra- bringing these like bodies, af- body after body, back to, to this like to this place to hide him. <laughs> it's just it, you can tell like oh my god, all his like secret serial killer skills are coming out, but like the evil acts are like slowly like driving him to a point of no return. <laughs> and it's just it's just it's such delightful Brad Dorif like craziness. <laughs> He's he's scary enough that if you if you if we found out after he passed away that he was also just happened to actually be a serial killer, uh, <laughs> like he plays that so well, me. yeah, yeah. I think it's just because he can in his register he can just he can just slowly build or he can ramp straight up into crazy intensity, and it's very um, uh, ah he was in the episode basics on Star Trek Voyager as Lon Suter or Sutter. Yeah, and I think it's because he's his features are so like he's almost he's like handsome, but almost has like a prettiness to him. Yeah, and so it like it it, I think it puts your guard down, 
and then when he like turns on the crazy it's really jarring of like oh massive red flags of like <laughs> like this is dangerous like i was i felt safe and now there's danger those are to me the scariest parts of this movie is it's it's the, the supernatural parts never really work for me that well but the um the uh um his acting and and how crazy he comes ac- across really do. I, I, case in point was the um, uh, he he's like crying in, in some of the scenes, and which is which is very I don't know, it's very interesting where he's like he's super intense and super angry. Then you look, he's got tears in his eyes, and you're just like, all right, that's it's a little, it's just jarring how how um wide his emotional range is, and it actually yeah. Makes and, you feel like he is unhinged, and, and but how believable he still is, <laughs> yes, it. and how like how yeah how far he can go, and not lose you. It, it's it's impressive. Which but I was wondering, so that you get so much in like the final like twenty minutes, thirty minutes of just like him giving these long monologues about stuff. And so for those to work, it's so important that he's so talented, and yeah. can deliver it. But the movie kind of comes to a stop a bit at times. Yes to have these all happen. So I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if the movie would have been better in some ways with a worse actor because <laughs> he's so good when it's like, look what we got. Look what we have. We have someone doing this. Like we got to put it in the movie. We got to show like this uncut monologue of this guy going from laughing to tears, to crazy, to like, to like despair and like it's such an impressive performance it's like well we gotta show it we gotta like we have to do it whereas if it was someone who was worse you're like okay well we can't this isn't good so we gotta like piece edit around and piece together what we can make work for the movie and i wonder if the movie would have been better served with that to not just come to a standstill for this like one act play of brad dorf monologues I, I think that's that was my issue with it. Is it is it 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 builds the intensity so it feels like you're waiting for this large payoff based on all of his his first the first monologue when they first meet you realize that it's Karis's body but it's he tells him it's the Gemini underneath so you're waiting but he's he's always in a straitjacket or or chained down to this bed so there's no physicality and there's no it never feels like a thread it, it always feels like there's something pending under the surface that, that just never gets there. And it's your point. It, it the, the movie feels like it just halts for, at least for me until yeah. the very last five minutes, which is not, not it, a great it, payoff. And he's kind of delivering some important exposition for like what has happened during those scenes that I think you can kind of, you can kind of lose a bit and being so impressed with the performance. Yeah that you're kind of like oh my god like this is incredible but you kind of miss a little bit of like oh he's actually like delivering important plot points of how the gemini killer is still here and yeah that that's and i I had it in my head so i i thought i'd seen i'd seen this before and i was i was wrong um i think i had seen either the third or fourth amityville horror movie where uh, 
somebody gets possessed and escapes or, or something. It's, I, I saw it when I was a kid, which is probably a horrible thing to actually happen. <laughs> but uh, um, I had it in my head that that the Gemini would would get loose and and be on a tear, and that it would be up to George C. Scott's character to run him down and, and basically capture him or kill him or whatever, right? And uh, yeah, you just you just don't get any real satisfying payoff. I think the only real action scene you get is the Gemini sending a uh, a crazy patient who, I guess it's implied she killed a nurse, steals her uniform. Yes. <laughs> and he goes to George C. Scott's house because he's interfering with what the Gemini is trying to do to kill his family, to make a point. And uh, it doesn't work. And I actually, to your point on, on Dorf's uh, uh, ADR and, and voice, the, the nurse, they cut to her about four times riding in the cab, and she's making these growling, like, Zool noises <laughs> in the back seat. And it never seems to, like, throw the the the, the cabbie out at all. The, there's a person who sounds like they're turning into a dog in his back yeah. seat. So, yeah, um, I wish they had paid that off better with something actually happening. Like, yeah. basically, just, like, George C. Scott gets there and, like, Saves his family. Um, yeah, like, like he he, he gets a little anticlimactic. It's, yeah, it's just a warning, and that's it. And I'm like, eh. And it's like there's a, they did such a tension moment of him putting together. Oh, like because he thinks like they're going. Oh, they like they're going after somebody, and him realizing, oh, it's my family, and has to rush to get them. And it does, yeah, it doesn't quite pay off in anything that's like that meaningful. Uh, other no, than it, the yeah. weird. <laughs> girl his daughter almost gets her head cut off and like but like the mom or grandma like grabs her and like just gets the neck out but the neck like stretches in a weird way to like be like show you like how close it came to like cutting her head off or i i yeah again only the old people are heroes in this because there's no young people (laughs) it's 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 a woman who looks like she is both george c scott's contemporary and she is supposed to be 20 plus years older than him. It's just his such mother-in-law. a mother-in-law. Yeah. It's yeah. such a weird, it's, all of this is so strange. I don't know. I, uh, I guess if it's his mother-in-law, they could be the same age and he just married way younger. <laughs> that's true. Or maybe, maybe his mother-in-law got knocked up early or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think that, uh, I don't know what the device is called, but the, it's, it's yes. the corner oh, demonstrates it. And I'm like, you should have used this more. Like, this is such a creepy yeah like scary looking it looks like a metal crab claw is the only way I can, like a giant metal crab claw that's supposed to just cleave stuff off <laughs> yeah and like they explain it's like spring loaded so instead of like a pair of scissors where you like open it and then use the force of your hand to close it you the force you have to use is an opening it and pulling the spring apart so once it's there it really the spring really powerfully compresses it really fast to cut stuff and so it feels like oh that could cut someone's head off like yeah it, it feels very threatening like yeah you do wish you got uh, like a because in the jump scare you like they use it but you don't get to see yeah you don't it it's actually not, it's applied. Do it. yeah yeah and so you do wish you got a moment of actually seeing it uh seeing it work but and i wonder if they did and it just didn't look great if they couldn't get the effects right that's possible. I, I I liked it though. I thought it was an effective weapon, and I think that uh, yeah, it's scary because it's huge. It, yeah, it's it's scary because it's huge, and it's scary because the spring loading thing. I kept waiting for like 
there's going to be this scene of tension where somebody has to either fight that thing off or you see that it's coming and they just can't do anything about it. But then, yeah, they, I, I, I wish they had gotten something with that thing in use, which would have been horrific. Yeah. And, th- and this is a pretty goreless movie. That's what's interesting to me is. Yeah. Well, like, to your point, they, Georgie Scott kind of sees it and reacts to it, but they never, the, everything's always covered up. And I'm curious what, if that was a, what the choice was in that, if it was a budget, a budget thing, or if it was just, uh, that's not the movie we're, we're looking to make of. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd wonder that too. Or, or if it was an MPAA thing, because this is post the entire. Oh uh, yeah. Slasher 90 is, the they're kind of. Yeah. So that they, they does go a little. Yeah. They, they, they start toning these things back quite a bit. So I was wondering if they, Especially One, it's, the it's a budget, but... studio based yeah. things, yeah. I uh, it it does feel like a miss where they could have probably done something a little, a little. Different. I also wonder if it's at a time where the gore stuff they're like, oh, that's like Friday the Thirteenth. Like, if they're being like, we're making the Exorcist, like we're above doing that. <laughs> like kind of kind of thing of like we're not friday the 13th like that kind of thing like exorcist is like a, a good horror movies <laughs> hmm. well and it, it's it should be too i mean in, in fairness the franchise this comes from it really was it probably still is actually a high watermark for for what horror should be um it's kind of the problem sometimes is when, when the movies are too good you, you really don't it doesn't it doesn't leave plausible good avenues for how you would actually want to uh to to drive this after and i think that the problem is when you may yeah when you kind of nail it the first time around it's always going to be diminishing returns because whatever you do is is not going to be as good no and so you either do the same thing not quite as good or you like this are going kind of in a i think that's probably why he didn't want an exorcism in this because like well it's not going to be as good as that one uh no it's like so why would we try to match that let's just take it we'll keep the story going but a different direction um and that which i think is maybe is a smarter move of (laughs) why try to or try and top why bring that comparison in when you know you're not it's not going to be although i think that's what carpenter was initially attracted into it was can I match it? Um, I, I would sound uh, kind of trying to do that, which would have been interesting if Carpenter had get the chance to. I uh, I, to try I to do that. I like Carpenter. I just don't. I don't think it would have gone well for him if if he had tried to take on this property. I think. I think uh, it would have been cheesy. I think it, 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 as much as I like him, I. Uh, I don't know if he had the chops in 1990s. He he came off a pretty bad string in the late 80s of, like I think the last movie he had made was at that point was They Live, and actually now that we're talking about it, sorry I'm I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, interestingly, he um, he does Village of the Damned, which is a remake of uh, it wasn't it wasn't Hitchcock, right? Did he do the original? no no? It's not Hitchcock, um, okay. but just a British okay. Just some guy. Right. Um, I, I just, you know, that, that was a flop. And I, I just, I wonder if uh, maybe, maybe he wasn't the right guy for this anyway. 
I don't know. I, w- I would have been very interested interested to see because it's got, um, yeah, man, that's crazy. <laughs> he, he does lay live in eighty eight, and then not until ninety two, where he does memoirs of an invisible man. Uh, oh, that's bad. Uh, well, also I'll say this: in eighty seven, he did Prince of Darkness, and this definitely is a little similar to that I, in in a of just the religious um yeah, yeah. kind of things i don't know if i don't know or, or i don't know maybe from having done that he would have had idea like been like oh like i can do this but do it right with because it's a sequel yeah. to something successful where i can have the resources maybe to Prince of Darkness feel actually you're now that you say that you're right. They 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 have a lot of the same energy where because that that felt like that was shot mostly on like one set. And uh yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's all about possession and trying to you know, trying to escape that possession. So I you're you're right. Like there there probably is something about uh maybe if he if he had done both, it maybe maybe it would have worked. Hey, maybe I should just Give the guy, give my guy. Well, but I don't know. Like, if you look at, if you're like a carpenter fan and you're like, oh, like, I wish he had had a crack at that. I'd be like, well, I mean, Prince of Darkness is pretty similar. Like, I don't think we missed out on getting the, getting that John Carpenter's take on that type of thing. Like, I think we kind of, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and and in the Mouth of Madness is a year or two after this, I think. And I, I I haven't seen it. I've got it. I I bought a copy of it. I need to watch it. But uh, yeah, I I think he's doing the same. Okay. Well, yeah, and that's kind of some. I mean, it's what I think. There's like a a trilogy. Um, it's not quite, but like a thematic. Yeah, trilogy. no, it, it, it's it's in the mouth of madness. Um, it's Prince of Darkness. And there was maybe maybe they live. I can't I can't remember. Oh, you're, you're right. Yeah. He, he had some sort of. Um, I bet it was vampires. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, yeah, now yeah. now this is bugging me. Uh, I'm gonna go look at his filmography because he, he he did have a supernatural run. Um, the, yeah, Apocalypse trilogy. That's it. Yeah. Hopefully, it's Halloween three. It's <laughs> wow. They say it's this is the thing is the first film in Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, then Prince of Darkness in the Mouth of Madness, which I can see. It's a bit. They're all a kind of possession. Uh yeah yeah true and uh, the, degree the, in that yeah the implication is. Uh, the kind of body snatcher kind of yeah yeah i uh <clears throat> well all right so do we want to talk about the, the the final so could you and if you can't that's not gonna hurt my feelings <laughs> could you explain the the priest at the end uh it's father is it father not father morning yeah father morning it's about okay um him all of a sudden uh so we've talked about the the attack at George C. Scott's house, but explain what or how it does feel like that. Well, it was bolted on that the priest just comes yeah. into the. But um, we've never seen him before in this movie, have we? I thought we did for a brief moment where George C. Scott's researching scripture. Okay, so maybe one. Yeah, he goes very... to like a, some church library at some point. Like maybe yeah. you briefly get something to him. That's what I was kind of thinking was the case, but I couldn't quite place it. But yeah, I mean, he comes out of nowhere of shows up at this like mental 
wing of the hospital to <laughs> buy prepare to do an exorcism uh, on this guy. And it's like really comes out of nowhere of, <laughs> and it doesn't go well for him. Uh, no, he, he, he flubs it almost immediately. <laughs> um, uh, which I do like, um, I guess it's not quite fully a death. I mean, he, I assume he eventually dies, but he's still kind of alive. But he gets like thrown into the ceiling, and his skin starts like peeling off. Yeah, and, stuff. and like it's a it's pretty gruesome, gory, um, scary. It, it's a, um, it's I would describe it as if you try and cook meat in the uh, yeah, on a, on a, yeah. a stovetop, and you don't use anything as a like a lubricant, like yes. no oil, <laughs> yeah. or, or butter, to yeah, cook. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it's a uh, which which is a pretty gross analogy, but that that's kind of how it looked to me was. Because you see his skin, um, to your point, like his skin, like it's almost like it's been heated against the ceiling. And then whenever he tries to pull away from it, it just rips rips it away. So I thought he was dead. I, I was like, there's no way they're bringing that guy back alive. Yeah, he, he seems he pretty damn dead with yeah. that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so George C. Scott goes into the back, back to the um, uh, hospital. And then he's trying to... It's hard to understand what he's going to do. To me, the, the, the point where he pulls out the gun to actually shoot uh, the Gemini makes the most sense to me. It's like, I feel like he should have done that a long time ago. Uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm a little confused by... So, the so like, Father Karras is still... His soul is, like, still in there. And, like, the point is they're torturing him by making kind of his body making him watch all this horrible stuff happen yeah, and not be able to do anything about it. But like, he's still kind of like battling back to take control of the body. And like, so when he does, then he's like, you got to kill me now. Like, uh, I like that. I, I th- actually thought that was, I don't like how fast it happens, but I like uh, that it's uh, Karis trying to, trying to, accelerate what's happening and kill himself because he knows if, if he if he doesn't the soul the, or that's gonna it's gonna keep hopping around yeah yeah so it's a, a decent ending we just hadn't really seen much of that battle before uh no <laughs> that so and it also was like well why didn't he just like like the first time he went in there and and was convinced oh this is like this is the Gemini killer who's taking like, why didn't he just shoot him then? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's a, uh, well, to your, we talked about before, this is the, the scene that was bolted on by the studio. I mean, I guess he's going to get to the point where he truly believes this is all happening. Cause like, that is a pretty outlandish thing. Like, I guess like you can't just file your police report being like, so the uh, body of my dead friend was possessed by the Gemini killer, so I had to murder him. <laughs> I, like, I guess that's not going to hold up well under uh, internal internal review. Uh, no, it it is funny for how many murders and horrible things happen in this uh, this wing of the hospital. How little other outside police involvement <laughs> there seems to be. Seems to be almost none. That yeah, and then the the doctors are like at one point are flipping out about like the police being there and stuff and it's like i don't know man you get a mysterious dead body like i think yeah uh, <laughs> drained him of all this blood what were you expecting to happen <laughs> like then there's a headless nurse yes. and uh, yeah it's like 
It's like, guys, I, I think it's warranted to have a police investigation at your, in your hospital. <laughs> oh, that's one scene. Sorry, we're going way back. I really did like what George C. Scott's explaining um, why they think it's the Gemini killer. Oh, and he's the false, the false. And he's telling all the false stuff they leaked to the press um, to kind of so they could trust when the gem actual Gemini killer was the one contacting them about things. Um, and that like, I love that scene with George C. Scott. He's it's like, so like George C. Scott, he's like taking his time to give his explanation. He's got these like sometimes very George C. Scott, like pauses and like facial gestures. Of, yeah. Like it was actually this finger. And we told him, this finger. I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I can't do George C. Scott dramatic acting level of things. Um, but it's like, oh my god, if this wasn't George C. Scott, like this would be awful, awful to watch. And like, but he's just crushing it, and like, it's delightful to like just watch it, just watch him like dominate a scene. No, he he he, one hundred percent delivers. Just because it, uh, it's never, it was never over the top to me. It was always he does a good job as he's giving something that he is incredulous about, but he, he still understands that he has to deliver and talk through. Like, I it, found him a little like over him. the top early on, but yeah. once the movie matches him, then it's all working. Then it's all working for me because the movie is now over the top as well. And when it starts out early where it's kind of like, like it feels like a police procedural with this like old priest. And it's like, I haven't got, I haven't quite gotten there yet, uh, and then the movie like catches up to what he's doing. It, it uh, I, 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 I just meant like it's never too much for me. It's, it's um, when he he goes big to me on all the right moments. And I, and yeah, I, I think and it's I, just I'm a, yeah, he's, yeah, and it's like he's George C. Scott, like <laughs> he yeah, can go let big. Him, let him cook. He he's gonna he's gonna do yeah, his thing. Yeah, just let it. Like, it's gonna be okay. That's like um, I was uh, listening to the uh, Golian Rust um, Shining podcast run they're doing. Yeah, and they're talking about like Kubrick talking about like what he's looking for with actors, and he's like, he's "Like, well, you need like like technical, and like you need like truthful, where like you believe, and then like the third like final th- place I'm trying to get to is like interesting, and it's like that's George C. Scott, like." It's interesting. Like, it, like it's always interesting on the screen what this what he's doing. Uh yes, it is. <laughs> uh, even at the uh well, yeah, I'm being redundant, but yeah, I, I, this this movie is worse without him. Yeah, and sure. same with like Brad Dorif. Um it's like it's always interesting. <laughs> like uh, yeah. <laughs> I um do you want to explain your background that you've got George? <laughs> So uh, George e. Scott, uh, definitely one of my favorite actors and probably uh, primarily from uh, Dr. Strangelove, Patton, but then the uh, timeless classic of a uh, man getting hooked by a football or as Homer Simpson <laughs> calls it, football in the groin, football in the groin. <laughs> Famously uh, beat out Mr. Burns for the for the Oscar. <laughs> um, is that the one with the Senor Spelbergo episode? Yes. <laughs> Or I, I thought Barney is Barney the one who wins the film festival because he does yeah. that sad <laughs> like a documentary about his life. I uh um 
I actually don't. I have not seen a bunch of his stuff. I feel like I've only seen his weaker, his weaker showings. Well, by weaker, I assume you don't mean Firestarter. <laughs> Uh, I, I do mean Firestar, we, which we should talk about at some point uh, where he plays um, Dr. I'm sorry. I keep getting it wrong. It's uh, John Rainbird, where he plays yes. a Native American. <laughs> which is bananas. Uh, I, I do want to do that one again. I um, That one makes me laugh. But I, I've seen Strange Love. I've seen Patton. But I'm going through his IMDb. I've seen this, obviously. There's a lot of his stuff I've just not seen. Yeah. And he's, and I, he's great. Some of it's our age because when he was probably in his real heyday we were, were not alive <laughs> yeah. um so you're kind of having to go back and um watch some pretty old things or by the time we're alive it's he's in things like Firestarter, where it's using his fame and gravitas but maybe not in the greatest not the same quality of work once upon a time yeah that's uh yeah that's um, that's what um they felt like they were doing for sure in firestarter because it's him and it's martin sheen when they're both aging and it's it's just not <laughs> it's just not that good yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh yeah so i i did enjoy the exorcist ending i'm glad they left it in um, it does feel 110% tacked on, bolted on to what they're trying to do, but I kind of think you need it. This, I think, again, going back to the, the third movie, this they, they understood this is what people are coming to see is they, they need to see this call. If you're calling it the exorcist, you gotta give them an exorcism scene. And this to me was the opposite of what Halloween 3 did, which was, um, uh, we're going to bait and switch you a little bit and give you something different. I think that I, to your point, did the studios learn their lessons? I think they did because uh, <laughs> I, I know it's Blatt, against Blatley's wishes, but it, it, it I was, I I was really hoping when Carpenter and Blatley were meeting Carpenter was telling him, he's like, man, let me tell you about a movie called Halloween three. <laughs> and what happens when you don't, when the audience is expecting <laughs> one it's, thing and you don't bring, you don't give them that one thing, especially at the at the end of the movie to not pay that off would just be such a a wild choice like i could see that really going bad for because i know this isn't like a critical hit but it, it did pretty well at the box office it did about 44 million i think against a yeah which i mean i think at the time is you know respectable respectable yeah i think so and um, I, so i'm curious so we talk about like oh the beginning feels like a bunch of like old men and things um but um sorry, sorry that was the smart right move and like cast and george's so like the first exorcist is what like 73 yeah 73 so I mean, this is 17 years later so it feels like if you're trying to get that audience like it's like oh the extra oh a new exorcist movie with george c scott it feels very much like for like our generation when like something like the expendables is coming out it's like oh like <laughs> an action movie with all these people i love it's like oh it's the exorcist and georgie scott i love both of those things and it's like but like anyone who was like 15 in 1990 is like yeah that's not the audience we're planning on uh, we're planning on capturing here uh yeah no and, and uh just to make this even crazier uh uh 
the expendables of it all they're they're coming out the expendables four and and yeah uh stallone is like almost 15 years older than what uh scott is in this movie which is crazy which i will say i am so tired of seeing trailers for the expendables Movie, I've only yeah. seen I've only seen one so far. I feel like every movie I've gone to this summer, I'm getting a trailer for that, and I'm like, why? Like, <laughs> I I I've seen more kid centric movies this summer probably than you. Uh, but um, because the last one I went to go see was Ninja Turtles. Yeah, me too. Uh, which is pretty good. Uh, but I've not Although, seen the Expendables trailer. I'm probably gonna see it again today. I'm I'm going to see the Meg two. <laughs> what? Today? Yeah. Are you going by yourself? Or are you going with the kids? No, I'm going to. Um, my, <laughs> uh, so my dad was, is going to, was going to take Sam today okay. and he asked if Kelly wanted to go and she was like, yeah, sure. I'll go to the movies. And then he asked <laughs> if I wanted to go. I was like, all right, I'll go. Cause I, I think the first Meg is fine. Uh, it's fun. But the, like, um, my son loves sharks and loves like kaiju monster movies. And so it's like very in his, so it's wheelhouse. like right in his wheelhouse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thoughts of things, so uh, so he's very excited, uh, for it. And like, yeah, I think it's just fine, you know. Uh, Jason Statham, always a good time. <laughs> he's a guy who who somehow can transcend good and bad movies. It's yeah, it's yeah. kind of impressive, he's, actually. And like, I think it's just because he's like, he's the Jason Statham character in just about everything, so yeah. it doesn't really matter if something's bad. Because the next one that comes out, it's like, well, it's still just going to be Jason Statham. So, <laughs> like, it's just I'll be like, with... it's it's probably a career that if you could have the consistency that he's had, you would you would love to have as an actor. Yeah, yeah. But it is on a lot of levels just strange that like he's done enough B stuff that he really shouldn't have a mainstream career anymore. But then he'll go do a Fast and the Furious yeah. movie, and it's like a seven hundred million dollar movie. And it's like, yeah, no, he's he's still a draw. Like it's, it's right. Weird. It's gonna be really interesting where his career goes from here. Because if you if you said like I don't know after like the Meg two, we'll say like that that's a legitimate like big studio movie with a big budget yeah. and things. And it's just say like after like because sometimes you look at guys' careers, even like a Harrison Ford or like a Stallone. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, it really fell off hard after that, where it's like, oh, they're in that one big stupid. It kind of flopped. And then it's like, oh, this is some movies I've not even heard of or like direct to video or like direct to streaming kind of stuff. So if you told me like going forward like that, like that was where his career is headed after this, like I'd fully believe it for or (laughs) if it was like, yeah. He's gonna have a like a renaissance with like some franchise and be like an A list action star like ten years from now and like making like I don't know the third movie of this like massive franchise that he's headlining like I could see both like I don't know like it's so weird like I, I, it's just I like the too. right vehicle came came around. I uh, I and I I like Statham so it's like I'm here for either I, I'm good for either like if he has like a yeah. Yeah. career for continuing to do what he's doing great if he has some sort of bigger research great i i just yeah, I enjoy I... <laughs> him he's just a, he's like a, he's just a good fun guy to follow but no I, i'm glad your your dad's gonna take him that's, that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah 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 so i'm I gonna meet him over there to... and you're gonna tag along so that's nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> um 
yeah all right so what are your what do you what are your ratings for for this uh the third <laughs> exorcist movie um that may or may not also be called legion Um, so I, I definitely like this more than you. And I think a little bit is, <laughs> is just the combination of, uh, Dorif and Scott with, I think some pretty good directing and cinematography kind of make up for some of maybe the plot holes, maybe studio interference. Um, so I had it at, at 3.5 out of five, uh, George C. Scott's screaming at people for no reason. <laughs> I uh uh I gave it I have two rankings I guess I could give this but I gave it a two and a half out of five septuagenarian uh, detectives uh or two and a half out of five uh, Patrick Ewings. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I I just I think the third act left me a little flat and that that was where uh you you spent a lot yeah. of time studying. Um, scripture and George C. Scott, you know, having monologues. I just, there should have been more of some of a catharsis. I felt like at the end than just Karis in a, in a, a very quick moment being being shot and killed to. Uh, and to it's not him. it's not really clear what the stakes are. Yeah, for like some of the characters, it's like yeah, yeah, okay, this guy's bad, it needs to be stopped. And I, I think it's just bringing in that like exorcism stuff. And it goes poorly so quickly. It just interferes with like the momentum of the stakes between Kinderman, Karis, Gemini, Killer stuff. And it's kind of almost have like overpowered made made the Gemini killer a little overpowered where he feels kind of like, okay, I guess is he unstoppable now? Like he can pick people up and throw them into ceilings and like peel their skin off. Like what? Like how would we possibly stop him? So then when you do, it's like, okay, I get Karis fought back and like weakened him. So Ginnerman could kill him. And it, it just doesn't quite, it, yeah, it doesn't quite give you the catharsis. Maybe you are looking for because so much is happening. I, it's, it's what you said for sure. It's the stakes that you just don't get a good sense of, uh, I think what I say to you was in the first one, the stakes are you're, you're seeing this child be tortured and uh, it's it's awful. And so even though it's not some sort of bigger existential threat to the world, uh, it, it's this awful, awful situation. That I think most any human being would would have empathy for her and, and not and not and want to see something resolved here. It's a guy you already thought was dead. It's technically not the guy because they tell you he's been brain dead. Yeah. And, and um it's just trying to keep the the Gemini killer at, at bay. And that's where I, I think the movie maybe made a mistake is it focuses too much on Gemini in the second half. And I don't think they spend a good amount of the first half giving you backstories to why that was such an important and case. I guess we're never quite sure how the Gemini killer is doing. Like, is he he's possessing these mental patients <laughs> and they're going out and doing these killings but then it sort of seems like maybe like a doctor or a nurse is letting him out at times and he's doing it and so like, i think there's just a little confusion <laughs> of what's happening what are we stopping like 
and it could it's not entirely clear either it's like well can now the gemini killer just jump to one of those bodies the way he jumped to karis is that possible or like and it's some of that supernatural stuff where it gets a little unless you really define unless you introduce another like supernatural thing that's gonna stop him yeah it's not gonna it kind of also like okay well we shot him but i don't kind of don't know what that means of i I had that thought too was okay just because you shot jason miller does that mean uh this is over and then i thought about it i was like well there's the other priest is just laying there on the ground pretty much dying too so i'm like are you gonna (laughs) are you teeing up part four right Right. it almost seemed like yeah they were trying to leave open like a part four for the gemini killer to still be there like (laughs) i uh well hey I give him credit. I mean, I give him credit for trying to do something different. I give Blatley credit for for wanting to sort of evolve this. But I, I do think that um, 15 years on, if you're still if you're still coming back and doing sequels of this, you can't. It's too late to get crafty and, and try and throw <laughs> throw the audience uh, through a loop on. on yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to. I don't think it, I, and it's probably a little different watching it close to 30 years after it comes out. Yeah. there was no exorcism in it i don't think it would have bumped me at all because there's still like possession that's more what i want that's more what i'm expecting in the in the exorcist the devil possessing somebody and if instead of like an exorcism you get a cop like shooting (laughs) for like this is how he can resolve it because he can't do an exorcism or so I, I i i don't know if it would really have bothered me at all um because once you get into devil possession it's like yeah that's what i'm expecting in the exorcist um more so than the actual but maybe that's just me in my own uh i, no, I don't need I, all I, that I, uh i, I, I don't need all point. that religious stuff in my movie <laughs> I, I can see your point with that i think um their mistake was not settling it early right on. If, if having it both ways yeah yeah, yeah. And trying the, trying to do reshoots competing was, visions of, yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah because when you do the it's reshoot, definitely the problem they do a reshoot with really only two or three actors and it's it's at the very end and so you don't you can't go back and sort of reshape parts of the story where you probably needed to do more ground yeah for what that and, was and you maybe like you needed that priest throughout the whole movie and maybe like he and like George C. Scott are like kind of bumping heads of like how to approach this and yeah. like and doing stuff and like so there's like some and then they now have to like team up together so there's something yeah like you needed that to run through the whole movie to That's be something was... meaningful at the end and that that was what was really good about the first one was um, Max von Sydow. If I, it's been a minute since I've seen it, but as I recall, he comes in fairly late in the movie. But you've got these; it's the movie's intercut with him around the globe researching possession, and he's, it's almost like he he's kind of world building and fact collecting as as the movie's progressing, even though those two stories have not yet uh, uh, overlapped. And at least yeah. it gives you some some basis for. Uh, his expertise and and his presence when he's actually there in the third act and this yeah it's just you can tell it's just tacked on and it doesn't it doesn't deliver so maybe maybe you're right yeah. maybe it would have been better without without it or it didn't need it as much as they thought but i don't yeah, know that is, we're also looking um, to your point we're looking at it 30 years later where 
Well, they've, I, they've redone Halloween. The, they've redone yeah. a bunch of stuff. To I think the best way to do it would have been to have that priest similar to what you're talking about in the first one, spliced through the whole movie, and then you get then it doesn't feel like out of nowhere. It feels more of a payoff for that character, and then like, um, so yeah, that is probably the way. Would have been the way to go to, to keep the exorcism in because that's yeah I get why you people would say like well you should probably have an exorcism in, in an exorcist movie uh that's true I uh well you know what we should go do is we should go uh he's only been dead about twenty four years well, let's go revive George C Scott and let's make this movie <laughs> he's uh so uh, on Beverly Hills so I'm guessing you're excited for. Our, our next movie we're doing in our uh, killer threes. I already watched most of it last night, and I watched <laughs> I watched the I watched the Shout Factory Blu-ray of it, which was all of the making of stuff, and it talks about all the alternate endings, and it talks about um, all the special effects. So yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three D uh, from nineteen eighty two, <laughs> which I I I this. I looked it up on Letterboxd last night. I have logged this on Letterboxd seven times. Oh, my God. Which means I know I've watched it at least twice, twice that. So I'm excited because this sounds an awful lot like uh, I can just let you run and just be along for the ride. Yeah. You, depending on what time of day, you need to drink some coffee or or have a drink and you'll probably just be able to be on autopilot. Because, I, I, yeah, I... I love it. I was actually trying to... I was writing my notes about the movie last night. I think it's my favorite Friday the 13th. It is arguably one of the worst in terms of quality, <laughs> but it, it's funny to me because it really still feels like a seventies movie in 1982. And it solidifies mm. a lot of what I think the franchise is going to become and other part franchises kind of do with sequels after this. And uh, interestingly, it's the same year as uh, Halloween three in 1982. And so you have these two, sort of competing franchises now at this point where in the same year they go head to head uh friday the 13th doubles down on everything it's like yeah. nope we're gonna keep going with the same guy we're gonna it doesn't make any fucking sense don't care let's go and uh, halloween 3 is like nope we can't we've uh we've already told this story we got to deviate and <laughs> friday the 13th comes out the winner it's uh it's such a strange uh yeah it is division crazy between those two and I don't know what it says about, well, it is hard to say Halloween 3 for what it is, uh, is like a paragon of like art and virtue. Um, but it's a better made movie. It is a better made movie. Friday for 3 sure. is basically, we're just making the same movie again. We're just doing it again. We're just running it yep. back. Uh, yep. Whereas Halloween 3 is taking, is like, well, we've done that. We can't just do the same thing again. We got to make something fresh and new. And, like, <laughs> uh, and it's yeah. like, hey, guess what? <laughs> Uh, we're running, we're, give audiences we're, what they've already said they want. <laughs> well, and that was the, it is funny because they had interviews. I'm probably spending too much time talking about Friday 13th part three, but the, the, I'll, I'll talk on it more, but the, uh, they do have interviews with people who were actors or, or production members. And uh, they keep talking about how like this opened the same weekend as fast times at Bridgemont high. I think this is the movie that oh, knocked man. ET That's out crazy. of the, um, out of the number one spot and they said i i, I gotta research this but they said because the movie only did 36 million dollars but somebody was talking about how the producer called uh, frank mancuso jr called them is like in the opening weekend like oh we did 28 million dollars <laughs> i'm like 
So you did like 80% of your money yeah. in the first weekend. I'm like, I don't, I don't quite buy. <laughs> Especially in 1982. That seems like a, a pretty tall. Yeah. Order. It doesn't quite seem, but, uh, that's but how no, it would I, go. So yeah, Friday the 13th part, part 3d. Um, I've not watched it with 3d glasses before, uh, but <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't really want to, frankly, but the, the Blu-ray, you can watch it in 3d. So if you have 3d glasses, you, you can, uh, you can watch it. I, I think I have some of Carter's um, 3D glasses from the Ninjago ride at Legoland. Maybe I should try for those and just see if I can watch this in 3D. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Probably a bad idea. So, all right. Uh, but yeah, uh, I would love to see it in three proper 3D someday. That would it would be pretty fun. <laughs> I think it would give me a headache. That's why I, I don't want to yeah. do it. I feel like I'd probably just get a migraine. Although part of my part of my the charm of it for me is, is watching it not in 3D and seeing like all the stuff that was oh, it's like bad. it's like shoehorned into like the, like the yo-yo and things and, like yep. like oh they that they just shot that because it was 3D. It's like yeah, what, a yep. good, what a good choice. Them passing a, a joint back and forth through the screen stuff. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of fun stuff to uh, talk delightful. about in this one. So, um, all right. Well, that was fun. Uh, that was uh, Exorcist 3. Uh, definitely the pinnacle of George C. Scott's career. So I'm glad we were going to talk, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about that. Definitely so. the movie everyone thinks of for George C. Scott to go to. Exactly. So not Patton. Definitely not uh, Stanley Kubrick movies. It's definitely not. No. This. no. So, yeah. yeah. All right. I will catch you next time for Friday the 13th, part 3D. Excellent. <laughs>